now turn our attention to the Holy Scriptures, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And although the chapter does not explicitly mention stealing, which is the subject of the sermon this morning, it does mention some of the causes of stealing. So let's read that chapter together. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science falsely so-called, 
which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Let's consider also the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that in the back of the Psalter on page 23. Lord's Day 42. What doth God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate, but he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right, as by unjust weights, L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, or by any other way forbidden by God, as also all covetousness, all abuse and waste of his gifts. But what doth God require in this commandment? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may, and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further also that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in our congregation, we have been going through the Ten Commandments of God's law, and this morning we come to the Eighth Commandment. This commandment teaches us the duties that we owe to our neighbor in regard to money and property and possessions. And this commandment teaches us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves in regard to those things whether in regard to our own money and property and possessions or in regard to his money and property and possessions. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, throughout the long ages of the history of the world, there have been many, many clever ways that men have tried to steal from their neighbors for their own benefit. The Catechism mentions some of those clever tricks and devices that were used in long ages past, such as unjust weights, L's, and measures. But although the precise way of sinning and stealing certainly changes through the ages of history, the fact is that ultimately there is nothing really new under the face of the sun. But man just steals in newer and more sophisticated ways in order to serve himself. But in this commandment, God says, thou shalt not steal. So let's consider together the commandment against stealing. And notice, first of all, that we are forbidden to steal from my neighbor. Secondly, we are required to be a good steward of God's gifts. And thirdly, we are called to follow the golden rule. In the eighth commandment, God says, thou shalt not steal. God forbids us to steal because God himself is the creator of the whole world and all that the world contains, 
And as the creator of all things, God owns all things. As we read in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything in the world belongs to God. Everything. Every single creature. And therefore, God forbids us to steal. Because those good things that God has created, God also distributes to other human beings. And when he distributes them to others, he doesn't distribute them to us. They become the property of other people, and therefore not the property of us. God, who owns all things, distributes the good gifts of his creation to human beings in many, many different ways. He distributes good gifts through buying and selling. He distributes good gifts through working and earning. He distributes them through giving and inheritances, and in many other ways. There are many lawful ways by which the good things of the earth are exchanged between men. But God forbids us to steal from our neighbor because the things that he has given to our neighbor in various ways belong to our neighbor and not to us. So, for example, when our neighbor goes to work from Monday through Saturday and at the end of the week he receives a paycheck from his boss, he takes that paycheck to the bank and he deposits it in his bank account, that money is money that God gave to him and therefore he didn't give it to you and to me. And when the neighbor goes to the bank and withdraws the money and he goes to the store and he buys a new vehicle or he buys new furniture or he buys new devices, all those things that he has legitimately bought belong to him and they don't belong to me and they don't belong to you. They belong to him because God, who owns them, gave them to him and he didn't give them to me or to you. Therefore, God himself teaches us through this commandment that he owns all things and he distributes those things to people according to his will and his plan. And therefore, we are not to steal from our neighbor. What is stealing? Stealing is the act of taking from my neighbor what belongs to him, what he owns, what God has given to him, but taking it from him without his knowledge and taking it from him against his will and without his permission, that's stealing. Of course, we take things from our neighbor all the time, but there are lawful ways to do that. Stealing is taking it from him without his knowledge and without his permission. God says, don't do that. Now, there are many different forms of stealing, as we're going to see. The Catechism mentions those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the state, first of all. Theft is a form of stealing. Theft is stealing by means of secrecy. Theft is the act of the sneak, the secretive person who, under the cover of darkness and night, or in some other sneaky and secretive manner, swipes away from the neighbor goods, or money that belongs to him. A thief is a pickpocket. A thief is someone who shoplifts. A thief is someone who sneaks into the house and quietly steals the cash sitting on the counter. Or who breaks into our barn and takes away our possessions. 
Robbery is much bolder than thievery. Robbery is that bold and forceful attempt to take away from my neighbor his goods and his money. The robber is the one who puts the mask over his face and takes a gun in his hand or a knife and breaks into the bank or breaks into the home in the middle of the day in order to steal from his neighbor through threatening to kill him or hurt him. That's the robber. So God says, don't be a thief and don't be a robber. Don't steal. Now, the world around us loves to glorify stealing, doesn't it? All you have to do is read some of the literature in the movies, in the television shows. The world loves to glorify stealing if that stealing serves the greater good of humanity or if that stealing is taking from the rich to give to the poor. The world loves to glorify a Robin Hood who steals from the rich in order to give to the poor. And yet, even in those cases, God says, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not rob from your neighbor. I have made him rich. I have made him poor. That's my prerogative. Don't steal. Our catechism and the scriptures make plain that God not only forbids those blatant crimes like theft and robbery that can be punished by the magistrate. If you steal, you can be thrown into jail. But God forbids more than that. God also forbids all of those wicked tricks and devices and schemes by which the neighbor tries to steal from the other man what belongs to him. So, for example, the Catechism mentions unjust weights, L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury. Those are all different methods by which men try to steal. God forbids all of those, for example, in Deuteronomy 25. There Moses said to the Israelites, Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights, a great and a small But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, for all that do such things and all that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord. It is an abomination to God. It is detestable to God when a merchant has an unjust weight or L or measure. Those are all different kinds of measurement. You have to imagine a businessman or a merchant man in his shop, in his business. And he has various ways of weighing out or measuring out the products that he's going to sell. And God says to that merchant man, don't have an unjust weight. Don't tell your customer he's getting 100 pounds if he's only getting 80 pounds. Don't do that. Don't tell him he's getting 10 feet if he's only getting 9 feet. Don't do that. That's dishonest, that's lying, but that's also stealing. You're stealing from your customer. And God says to customers, don't try to steal from the shop owner. Don't try to swipe away off the shelves the things that belong to him. And don't try to trick him. Don't try to deceive him with false coins, with counterfeit money. Don't try to give him something that has no value under the pretense that it has value, in order to get his goods for free. 
That's an abomination unto the Lord. The Lord sees that. No one else might see it, but the Lord sees it. And he detests it. The Catechism and Scripture also make plain that God detests those who charge excessive interest on loans, called in Scripture usury. There's nothing wrong with giving out loans to people and even charging interest on those loans. But what God forbids is excessive interest, interest which is obviously beyond what is acceptable. That's stealing from the poor man who is borrowing from you. God says, don't do that. That's stealing. God says to merchants, don't try to sell fraudulent merchandise. Don't try to sell a vehicle to somebody when you know full well that under the hood it has all kinds of problems and is going to require thousands of dollars to fix. Don't sell it to him under the pretense that it's in perfectly good running condition. That's stealing. Don't sell fruits and vegetables pretending that they are in good shape when they are spoiled. That's fraudulent merchandise. It's not only dishonest, but it's stealing. So God teaches us in this commandment that in our farms, in our businesses, in our sales, in our engaging in trade and commerce, in the day-to-day life, we are to be honest, we are to be ethical, we are to be fair, and we are not to steal from the merchant or from the customer. That doesn't mean that we may never negotiate. That doesn't mean we may never barter. That doesn't mean we may never try to trade with the merchant or bring the price down. But it has to be an agreed-upon price in the end. Otherwise, we're stealing. Stealing is taking the goods of the neighbor against his knowledge or against his will. That's forbidden. But the Catechism and the Scriptures make plain that God not only forbids external actions and sins, God also forbids the internal causes that lead us to do those kinds of things. Why do people do those things? Why do people steal? Well, we know very well that one of the common causes of stealing is poverty. And there is no sin in being poor. In fact, the scriptures teach in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, that we as Christians are to pray to the Lord, Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest if I have riches I deny thee, or if I am poor I am tempted to steal. And there the scripture teaches us that if a man is poor, he is going to be tempted to steal. That doesn't make the stealing right. But we understand, of course, that the cause of poverty is not a sin. It's not a sin to be poor. As most of you know, we were in the Philippines for four years. And that's a very poor country. And as we moved around in the Philippines, we saw the poverty everywhere. And as a Christian who has been given much, it breaks your heart to see people living that way. It breaks your heart to see people living in a little shack with hardly a peso or two to rub together, 
who are living from day to day just to get their daily bread. And when you live in that condition, yes, you are constantly tempted to steal. They still need to be told, thou shalt not steal. Trust in the Lord. The Lord will provide for you. Pray to the Lord to give you your daily bread. But poverty, of course, is not a sin. On the other hand, another cause of stealing is covetousness. And the Catechism mentions that. That's really the Tenth Commandment, isn't it? Thou shalt not covet. But here the Catechism mentions it under the Eighth Commandment because it's talking here about coveting our neighbor's things, goods, money, possessions. And that covetousness is also a very common cause of stealing. God forbids covetousness. Even if we never steal, he forbids us to be covetous of the things of our neighbors. Covetousness means that I lust after the things, the money, the possessions that my neighbor has, but I don't have. And we can see immediately covetousness is rooted in discontentment. If I'm coveting what my neighbor has, it means I'm not content with what I have. Contentment is a beautiful, wonderful virtue. Discontentment is a grievous sin. God forbids us to be looking at our neighbor next door or a neighbor at our job working next to us who has more than us, who has things that we don't have, and to lust after those things. You know how we are all guilty of that. You know how sometimes we can look at what our neighbor has And we can fix our attention on that thing. Sometimes it's just one thing. Maybe it's his job, his money, his wife, his house, his boat, his vacations, whatever it is. And we can fix our minds on it to such an extent. We lust after it. We want it. We become obsessed with it. All we can think about is what we don't have but what he has. And we want it. We want it. We want it. We want it. God says, don't do that. Don't covet your neighbor's things. Don't lust after those things. Another cause is greed. Greed is similar to covetousness, but we might not even be coveting what our neighbor has. We might just be greedy to have more. More, 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 more. Never content. Always wanting more. And that's what the apostle warns about in the chapter we read. When he says, that those who desire to be rich, verse 9, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. If you have in your heart the all-consuming desire to be rich or just have more, 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 Paul says, you're going to fall. You're going to fall into temptation. You're going to fall into snares and hurtful lusts. You're going to hurt yourself and your family and others. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Notice, he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil. It's not even wrong to desire money. We know that we need it and to desire it. But it's wrong to have the love of money and to have the desire to be rich. That's a sin. In fact, that sin of greed is a root sin. Paul says. It's a root sin. 
It's the root of all evil. And he doesn't necessarily mean that the love of money causes you to do every single kind of evil. But he means to say, if you are consumed by the love of money, then you will commit all different kinds of evil. Just think of it. If you are consumed by the love of money, you'll be willing to kill someone too. You'll be willing to commit adultery. You'll be willing to blaspheme, to break the Sabbath day. You'll be willing to lie and to cheat. You'll be willing to do anything that it takes to get that money. And Paul says, many people have been in that state and have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That doesn't lead to happiness. That leads to sorrow. Man of God, he says, flee from those things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Pursue those riches. Earlier in the chapter, he says, there are some people who think that gain is godliness. There are people who think that to have more and to have more, that means you're godly. That's a sign of your godliness. Prosperity, riches. He says, withdraw yourself from them. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment. We brought nothing into this world. We can't take anything out of this world. If we have food, if we have clothes, if we have a roof over our heads, if we have the daily necessities, let us be content, he says. Be content. And so the Lord forbids us to steal. Positively, in this commandment, the Lord requires that we be good stewards of the things that he gives us. Now, as we saw earlier, God distributes things to people in many different ways. But the primary way that God distributes money and property to people is through work. The Catechism calls attention to that. At the end of the Lord's Day, it says that I labor faithfully, that I labor faithfully. That, no doubt, comes from Ephesians 4, verse 28, where the Apostle exhorts us, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, let him work with his hands, the thing which is good, so that he may have to to give to him that needeth. We all know the scripture, I think, Proverbs 6, verse 6, where Solomon says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Sometimes we are tempted not to work. We are tempted to loathe work. We are tempted to not want to go to work. Perhaps that happens a lot in our lives, that we have that temptation to be lazy, to be slothful, to be idle. And then we must always go to the ant, Solomon says. Consider the ant, the ants. Diligently, faithfully, they labor. 
and they labor and they labor. All together they work as a team and they work toward their goals to accomplish their goals and they never cease laboring. The scripture says, you too, labor, labor, labor with your hands, the thing that is good. The apostle says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 and 12, that we must study to be quiet, to do your own business, to work with your own hands, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, he warns, If any would not work, neither should he eat. If you refuse to work, then you're not going to eat. Because this is the primary way God gives us good things. So we must remember that if we are ever tempted to be lazy. Now, some of us might be thinking right now of, some able-bodied men whom we have noticed in the community who never go to work. They just sit home all day in their homes, perhaps watching television and playing video games and bumming around and doing nothing, and then they receive a check from the government. Maybe we're thinking of how disgusted we are with people like that. Well, then let us stop a minute and point the finger at ourselves. And remember, judge not lest ye be judged. That's not at all to justify that way of life. That's a wrong way of life. Laziness is a sin. Idleness is the devil's workshop. But then we are to remember about such how our Lord Jesus Christ dealt with such people. After all, Those who sit at home all day and don't go to work and receive a government check, what are they doing? They're really stealing from the citizens of the land. And it makes me think of old Zacchaeus, the publican. Well, he worked hard. He didn't sit at home all day. He worked hard, but he was a thief. And he stole from the citizens of the empire. When he charged them more taxes than they were actually supposed to pay, he was a thief, a wretched Miserable thief. But when Jesus passed through Jericho and Zacchaeus climbed up into the tree, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, for I'm going to your house today. And he went to his house. And the scripture says, salvation came to that house that day. He went to the house of that wretched man, that thief, And Jesus didn't go in there to affirm him in his sinful lifestyle. Jesus didn't say, oh, you're okay just the way you are. No. Jesus went to his house and admonished him. And brought him to repentance. And brought him to a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So that by faith Zacchaeus was saved. And what was the fruit? Zacchaeus said, Lord, I'm going to go back and I'm going to restore everything that I stole. And I'm going to give more than what I stole. That's the gospel. That's how the gospel works. We are to follow the Lord's example. Labor, that's the law of God, labor. 
And then when we labor and God gives us good things, God calls us then to be good stewards. Our Lord Jesus teaches that too in various parables, Matthew 25 and Luke 16. He speaks often about being a good steward. Think of the stewards who received talents and how they used those talents. The Lord wants us to use our talents, to use our gifts, to use our money, not to waste it, not to abuse it. The Catechism calls attention to that. We must avoid all wasting and abusing of God's good gifts. That's being a bad steward. Now, wasting and abusing God's good gifts doesn't just mean that we don't finish our plate of food at the dinner table. We throw some of the food away in the garbage. We should strive not to do that. But it doesn't just mean that. Wasting and abusing God's good gifts means this, for example, that we don't prioritize the kingdom of God and his righteousness in the use of our money. Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what clothes you will put on. Don't worry. The Lord will take care of you, but seek first the kingdom of God. With all of your money, with all of your possessions, or the Proverbs that says, Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase. The first fruits, not the last fruits, the first fruits. When we don't do that, we're sinning. We're being bad stewards of the good gifts. We're forgetting, these things don't belong to me. These are God's things, and he gave them to me to use for him. We forget that all the time. We have to remind ourselves of that. We're abusing and wasting God's good gifts when we don't prioritize God first in our lives, in the use of our money and possessions. Furthermore, we're abusing and wasting God's good gifts when after prioritizing God first, we fail to prioritize our family. The scriptures also teach us that a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel, worse than a, a wretched unbeliever. If you don't provide for your family, I remember reading a book once, and it was a story about a man who was a poor drunk. And every day he earned a few pennies and dollars, and he had a wife and children. They lived in a not a very nice place, in a big busy city. And the little bit of money that he earned every day, he spent it all on alcohol. What an abuse and waste. What a shame. But we're all tempted to do that. Maybe we're not a drunk. But we're all tempted to waste the good things God has given us on selfish pleasures. Desires for worldly pleasures and things. And then we start to neglect the kingdom of God, we start to neglect our family. We start Eventually we neglect everything and we're spending all that we have on ourselves. God says, don't do that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Care for your family. Give to the poor. And then, yes, 
There's nothing wrong with taking a vacation once in a while. There's nothing wrong with going out to eat at a restaurant once in a while. There's nothing wrong with enjoying certain amusements. But that's last. That's not first. We all need to be reminded of that. When Scripture calls us to be good stewards... Now in the third place, third point of the sermon this morning. One of the chief ways that God would have us to use the things he gives us is for the good of others. There we find the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's striking in Ephesians 4 verse 28. The apostle says, Let him that stole steal no more, but labor with his hands, And we would expect him to say, so that you'll be able to support your family. And he does say that in other places. But in Ephesians 4.28, he doesn't say that. He says, labor with your hands so that you will be able to give to the poor. How often do we think of that? We go to work to earn money so that we can give it away. That's why we go to work. That's what Paul says to do. To give to those who have needs. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? Matthew 19. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. Don't have idols. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't cheat, don't don't covet. And the man says, yes, Lord, but I've done all those things since I was a little child. I've done all those things. What else do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, have you done all those things? You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. And then you will have riches in heaven. What we always like to ask about that text is, well, does he really say that to all of us? Let's not ask that question. Rather, let's focus on this. Might he say it to me? He might, if I have the same weakness and attitude of the rich young ruler. In other words, if I think in my mind that I'm doing pretty good, that I'm keeping all the commandments pretty good. Now we're on the eighth commandment. We've heard seven commandments, now eight. And after hearing all those commandments, now if we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, I've pretty much done all those things. And the Lord might very well say to you, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and come to me. Because you see what that is? That's faith. Faith is saying, I have nothing. I am a poor, needy sinner. I have nothing. I need Jesus. The gospel this morning is that God has given us, Jesus, his most precious, beloved son, 
Christ, the scripture says, who was rich. Yes, rich. Because Christ is God. And we've seen that God owns everything. Christ, who was richer than anyone has ever been. Because Christ, as God, owns and possesses everything in the universe. Christ became poor. Christ came down and became a man. And there was not even any room for him in the inn in Bethlehem. There weren't even any decent clothes to wrap around that little baby. There wasn't even a nice bed for him, just a manger. He became poor, poor. Poor even to the death of the cross. And there he lost and gave up everything he had. Everything. And in the deepest poverty, gave himself in love for us. and Suffered under the wrath of God. Why? Why did he do that? So that through his poverty, we might be rich. And now our Savior says, You follow me. As the Catechism puts it, promote the advantage of your neighbor in every instance that you can or may. In every instance that you can, you have an ability to help your neighbor, do it. In every instance that you may, are you permitted to help your neighbor in that way? Then do it. And deal with him as you would desire him to deal with you. That's the golden rule. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 42, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. And what we always like to do with verses like that is explain them away. Explain what it doesn't mean. Well, it can't mean this. It can't mean that. But Jesus is very clear, and when he is clear, we may not explain it away. Give to him that asks. And those who wish to borrow from you, don't turn them away. In Matthew 7, verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets, the golden rule. How would you like to be treated? Keep that in the forefront of your mind and treat them that way. Treat your neighbor that way. Don't just think of your own needs. Don't just think of your own family. Don't just think of your own church. Think of your neighbor, whoever he is. Give to him who has needs. We've been given such riches as Christians Everlasting riches. May God grant unto us that by faith we lay hold on those riches. And as Paul says to Timothy at the end of that chapter, charge them who are rich in this world. Now you might say, well, I'm not rich. 
Riches, of course, is all relative and all depends where you are. Compared to the majority of the world's population, we're all rich. The majority of the world's population, compared to them, we're all rich. The vast majority of people live in poverty. We don't. Charge them who are rich in this world. Verse 17, that they be not high-minded, that they do not trust in uncertain riches, which are here today and gone tomorrow, and you cannot take with you out of this world. But teach them to trust in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, and charge them to do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Grace be with thee. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank thee for thy word concerning this commandment and thy gospel, that Christ has become poor that we might become rich. Grant unto us that by faith we might trust in Christ today and be able to confess, He is my shepherd, I shall not want. He cares for all my needs. Give us then, Father, generous hearts. Give us to be wise and good stewards. All this we pray, asking for